Hello, my fine and funky friends. Welcome to another rehearsal about this week with the wonderful Pippa Evans. Um, everything's going fine, and don't forget, we are doing live rehearsals May twenty fourth, May the thirty first. 7th June, 14th of June and 5th of July. The guests we have confirmed for the first one, 24th of May, Sarah Kendall, possible next Taskmaster champion, who knows? Uh, 31st, Johnny Vegas. There's two guests in each of these. And 5th of July, Robin Asquith from the Confessions of Movies and much, much more. I'm really looking forward to that one. Aiming high with getting brilliant guests for you. So I hope you will either come and watch those live at the Clapham Grand or pay to see them virtually at home, online, live streamed. They will also, of course, be available as free podcasts because I'm an idiot and I don't understand how business works. Head to richardherring.com slash gigs for all the info on those gigs and everything else I'm doing. And, you know, be nice to see you there. We're carrying on remotely for the moment, so do keep an eye on Twitch, twitch.tv slash rkherring. Puppet shows on Thursdays, snooker on Monday, and rehearsals on Wednesdays for the moment. Uh, May Martin's coming up soon and haven't got any other people booked in yet, but we'll do by the time you hear them. That's how it works. Anyway, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy Rahalastapa with Pippa Evans. It's a really good one. I think you're going to enjoy it. Hello, please welcome a man who's devastated by the death of Prince Philip. It's Richard Herring. Hello. Welcome uh, to... Uh, uh, we're here at St George's Chapel, Windsor Castle, um, to another episode of Rich Herring's long, solemn tribute to Prince Philip. Uh, I was reading Guardian piece about uh, the Jerry Paxson episode that I did. Uh, they only took them five weeks after the original transmission to get the story. That's how cool the Guardian journalists are. They called it Rahalastapa in the article, so maybe it's catching on. I don't know. Uh, yes, uh, this uh, with the usual programming has been rescheduled, and um, we're replacing this week's podcast with just uh, an hour-long dedication to the wonderful man who was uh, Prince Philip. Uh, there he is. He looked so different when he was young, and he's so handsome, uh, young man, but uh, lovely to see him there. Uh, and I've got a lot to say about him. He, uh, I've never met him. Didn't really, he was, yeah, it's going to be quite difficult to do a whole hour on him thinking about it. Uh, I, uh, I was upset, uh, by his death. Uh, and I hope the queen never dies. I have to say just because, you know, how long's TV going to be off then? And, uh, I was upset because my one TV appearance of this half of the year was meant to be on Saturday. Uh, in uh, Pointless Celebrities. There are, there's me and Les Dennis. Look at that. Uh, we recorded this uh, before COVID last year. So we've been waiting for a long time to come out and uh, taken off because of Prince Philip. They'd be on in a, if you're listening at home to the podcast, it's probably just been on. But if you're watching live, uh, it's uh, it'll be on in a week or so. Um, so and I, there was 100,000 complaints to the BBC about Pointless being taken off. So uh, I believe it was mainly about that. So it was bad news for us. So look, what else? Um, uh, oh, uh, yes, look, I, I will mention this uh, while I'm here, that we are doing live Rahalastapas in May, June and July at the Clapham Grand. It would be lovely if you are local to the Clapham Grand. It's socially distanced, quarter the size of the usual audience, but it's a big theatre, so we can still get 350 people in, which is more or less our usual 
sized audience. Uh, and if you would like to support us and the theatre, it'd be terrific if you would come along to one or more of those. Uh, they're not every week, but Mondays in May, June and July. And you can also watch them live stream for a little bit less money. Uh, I think it's £12 to watch two two shows. We're not doing two shows a week. Obviously, that would be insane. But just imagine where we were, then you £12 to, to watch them online. If you've enjoyed all this free content uh, over lockdown and would like to pay us back, again, it'd be lovely if you buy a ticket to one of those. But uh, And it also helps out the Clapham Grand, who have been dark all of this time. Uh, the only other thing that's happened to me is uh, my, last week uh, I didn't record a show. Um, it was my wedding anniversary. I've been married for nine years. And you get to nine years, you kind of think, it wouldn't matter now if it goes wrong. No, no, we've done well. We stayed together for nine years. And uh, no one would be embarrassed. They'd just go, well done, that was a good knock. But it's going quite well. I think we're going to get to 10 and then we'll reassess at that point, which I think everyone should do. That's my theory. Uh, hopefully she'll stay with me because I've got nothing in my life. <laughs> my wonderful wife. Uh, my kids uh, made me anniversary cards. Oh, my watch keeps on talking today. I'm going to take it off. <laughs> It's the only thing that's made my guest laugh is my watch talking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's my anniversary card from my daughter. Look at this. It says, happy anniversary day. I mean, that the day is tautologist there. Uh, there's a picture of me and my wife on the front. Uh, sort of kissing, I think. Our lips always sharing a mouth, at least. Uh, my wife wearing very, very fancy shoes, and I've got no feet. I sort of <laughs> feel like she's giving me piggyback. It's the only way that explains the height. Uh, and inside, uh, she wrote... Uh, Mummy, I love you eight, I thought it said. And Daddy, I love you ten. So I thought, I, I thought I'd won. I thought, that, that's amazing. My daughter's very standoffish of me. So that was, an, even to get ten was amazing. But to get more than my wife was insane because she loves my wife. Uh, but then I realised that's an infinity symbol there, which I'm quite impressed she knows how, the symbol for infinity. She's 28 years old, my daughter, obviously. So uh, she's done very well there. But uh, yeah, that's uh, she keeps drawing me falling into lava. She's done a whole series of of different pictures the last one was just red with a sort of little yellow melting figure on the top uh and she told me all the that that was all my hair and fingers had, had burnt off i mean you know i think she would i think she's going to kill me at some point but um there we go anyway look let's crack on do come and see it live i think that's all i've got to talk to you about now uh and uh, do here's to prince philip i know some of you it's a couple of weeks since he died if you're listening on the podcast but we're still we're not going to stop talking about him because I'm going to just talk to uh, my guest about what he meant to her. Uh, she's <laughs> she is probably best known of as the face of Windows Live Search, which oh, is yeah. the search engine uh, that preceded Bing, which I believe even Bing may have gone out of business now. So that she was the face of that. <laughs> Will you please welcome the amazing Pippa Evans? How oh, where is she? That's not uh, Pippa Evans. Oh, 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 uh, What's oh, happened? Oh, oh. oh, wow, that's amazing. I can't even... I'm moving around trying to get in oh, there. Oh, we might have to... I'm, do... I'm, something funny's happened. Yeah, Chris <laughs> Evans might come in and solve it. This, I think Chris Evans is having a little running joke with us, isn't he? He's. This is his new bit where... Has your camera frozen? Are you trying to move your camera? It's like the top uh, corner of your what, room. What, me? I know. I don't. I literally don't understand how that's... Are um, you on I, your screen where you I, are? Are you honest, around, Chris? I, I can see my face. Okay, Chris. I can, I'm looking very great. It's because Chris was... Uh, good at cheekbones going on. There you I can um, see you now, but you can't... But, oh. but only not on the... <laughs> <laughs> there I am. Hooray! It's Pippa Evans. Hi, Chris everybody. Evans is a, is, a, is a joker. He's trying to cheer um, us up after the death of... And the boy was a sad, uh, sad day. Yeah. So. Um, 
What are your memories yes. of uh, Prince? Did you ever meet Prince Philip? Did you ever well, perform with Prince Philip? Do you know what, Richard, though? I didn't perform Prince Philip. I did work at Buckingham Palace when I was 19. <laughs> did you? Uh, in the shop, in the garden. <laughs> And um, and uh, he never turned up, but um, I have I have seen ha- Andrew from from ten meters distance. Well, I'm so. sure if you were 19 working in the shop, I'm sure you saw him <laughs> from a lot closer than that. I know I was I was one of the lucky ones. Um, so uh, so yeah, but we, what, I tell you what was interesting was I went to meet my friend yesterday, uh, and we said let's meet at Green Park. And as I was walking towards Buckingham Palace, I thought. Oh, this will be fun because I recently made a new friend whose son is one of those guards with the big hats. And, um, and I said, can I shout at him, is your mum Chantel? <laughs> and uh, she said, oh, that would be hilarious. So uh, I thought, oh, today's the day. And then I got there. And of course, there's camera crews <laughs> and big, uh, big barriers don't. And it's lots of signs that say, don't put flowers down. Um, and but of course someone hasn't seen the sign so there's like six rather sad bunches of flowers it's like either no flowers or all the flowers what we don't want is six bunches of flowers (laughs) Um, so but the point being that I'd forgotten that uh, such a momentous occasion had occurred which made me kind of go wow that's pretty amazing that such a son you know he's a big public figure yeah and he could die and we could forget within (laughs) two days well, it's an interesting, but we'll, I think as an historical figure, I don't think he'll be remembered at all. But, you know, it'd be, it would be interesting to know, um, you know, like who was, I mean, I, I guess we knew who Queen Victoria's husband was, so maybe we'll know. But uh, she did build a big fucking hall for him and stuff, didn't she? So it was... Yeah, was... yeah. But does Philip, he doesn't have a big hall, does he? Doesn't does have he a big have hall. He doesn't community have a... hall anywhere? Doesn't does have, he have a genital a... piercing, though that no. is actually named after <laughs> uh, Queen Victoria's son rather than her husband, but I'm happy to go for the laugh rather than the historical fact. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but maybe he will do. I think the Albert Hall was only built after his death, so maybe... Queen Elizabeth can knock down but, the Albert but, Memorial and build a Prince Philip Memorial. Philip but, Memorial. But, I, but I don't know about you, Richard, but I, I do. I am one of these people that feels the um, the the tension of um, being brought up to be a very good young lady. Yes, I mean you don't have that tension, maybe. Not exactly. But the um, but to be very respectful to the royal family, be yeah. respectful to. So I do. I felt I found Twitter quite terrifying on that day when everyone was like, <laughs> and uh, I was like, but he is an old dude. He's like, but at the same time. I can't admit, I can't pretend I didn't forget that he died. <laughs> so what does that leave me? Well, yeah, it's bad. That is bad. That's very disrespectful to a wonderful amount, a wonderful man. That's all I'd um, like uh, to say about... He had a hat. He was, he, he was good in Doctor Who. That's he looked all good, I in, a hat. He looked um, good in a hat. So tell me about... Uh, the, the. You talk uh, quite nicely about the... Win- it, I got it right, right? Windows Live Search, was that what it was called? Because I heard, I, I, read, what, yeah. I read the audio, I listened to the audio book, and then I thought, oh, I must write that down. That should be her credit. And then I got, I've also got the book, and I flicked through the book, and I've, re- I've re- partly read it and partly uh, listened to it. And I could not find that bit anywhere. I was pretty sure where I thought it was, and I couldn't, I don't know if it's in the book. I think it's only in the audio book, but so, no, so I was worried I got it wrong. It. I couldn't find it. It must be in it. Yeah, there was the, my best, uh, I think it might still have been my best job ever. <laughs> it was one of my first jobs, and it was. Um, being a char- doing charades, yeah. charades, charades, um, in uh, and people would write in the search engine. The search engine would give you. Cl- I just still don't quite know how it worked, uh, but I, they made me look so glamorous. <laughs> and then I was doing these funny little improvs, uh, and I've never felt better than uh, that than that day actually. And it was so popular that in fact, then the um, 
another branch of Microsoft asked me to do it, uh, do the same kind of thing for a different bit of the web of a website somewhere and sent me to Paris to do the same job. And they were so horrible to me in Paris that I couldn't believe it was the same (laughs) company because I'd had such an amazing experience. They said, can you bring bring some of your own clothes? You know how these jobs do. Um, Can you bring some of your own clothes? And I got there and they literally put them out like this and went, and went, well, no, we can't have her wearing things like that. And then, and then one of the assistants turned to the director and said, she's, um, she's, could she borrow some of your clothes maybe? And she said, I don't think we're the same size. <laughs> and it was awful. And again, I was only like 23 or something, 22. Yeah. Uh, and I remember standing in the changing room, looking in the mirror going, think of the money, think of the money, <laughs> crying. Anyway, so that's show business, yeah. everybody. So you had the best and worst jobs of your life via Microsoft. So were you quite yeah. quite glad when Google basically won that? Destroyed Bing. The, yeah. <laughs> Bing was destroyed. Because for a moment, I was the face of Bing as well. Right. It, when it, it changed, I became Bing. Okay. So, um, but, I, but it was before screen grabs existed. Yeah. So uh, it was impossible to... Um, Impossible to have, so I don't have any evidence of this. You're gonna have to believe me. <laughs> I think if they got um, Matthew Perry to do to do the, the face of Bing, and then Chan- that would have, he probably can't do it because he probably doesn't own the name of the character. But that would have made Bing a success, I think, wouldn't it? A hundred percent, but probably would have cost million far more than the whatever they paid me. They've to got do that. to think about the long term, though. They paid you, they do. and then if they paid him, they'd be Google. But they got they pay. I'm not saying you're not as good as Matthew Perry. Hey, I'm not as I mean Matthew Perry's my dream man, um, and I think we'd be an amazing pair. We could have we could have been Pip and Bing. It could have been. Why did they have Matthew Perry and Bing Crosby, a, a sort of a virtual reality Bing Crosby? <laughs> <laughs> they could have, I, I, Double I, Bing, I, Bing I, squared. I, I should have been working for Bing. I could have made Bing, and then they could have got Bing, the children's character. If they like, waited a bit, mm. they could have got Bing from the children's cartoon Bing. Uh, I don't know what that is. Well, you don't want to know. You're very lucky not to know. Is it that. is it literally just called Bing, or is Bing a it's singular called Bing. character He's called from something? Bing. He's a, the show's called Bing. He's called Bing. He's a rabbit with big ears who's looked after by a tiny uh, toy. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like someone panicked we when they were we asked to write that show. <laughs> what I'm watching, it was Mark it's Ryler. It's Mark Bing. Ryler's played the uh, Bing's. What's he called? Oh, fucking hell! My God! Uh, he plays. He played Bing. Does he have a drug problem? Is it a is it a troubled rabbit? Uh, well, I think I, there's a lot of questions about whether what the society is because it's different animals and they're all looked after by these tiny toys that the adults. Uh, uh, Flop is the name. Of, thank you to the chat room for pointing that out. Is the name that Mark, Mark Rylance and then is the played by the guy from uh, Shamed now, uh, Trellis David Trulis through Fulis. I think he plays it now. Um, uh, but yeah, so a lot of some people think it's some kind of apocalyptic nightmare where the grown-ups have died. Some people think it's. Uh, maybe the parents have died, and this is the way that they. Uh, it's he's annoying, but he's not as bad as Pando. I went to see the live show, but I did talk about that. Charlie Brooker was also there, and I believe we talked about that on the Charlie Brooker podcast. And I wouldn't want to bore my listeners by going, don't repeat. going over the same things over and over again. I just don't do that. That's just not something I do. I remember taking I used to nanny this little girl, and I took her to see Angelina Ballerina live. Right, but it was done by the Royal Opera or Royal Ballet Society or something. Uh, and so Angelina Ballerina just wore a massive, had a massive head, <laughs> massive mouse head, and then just danced. And of course, because it's ballet and it's got a massive head on, can't speak. So then about three minutes in, all of these children, 
aged between, you know, four and seven, are just turning to their carer going, but why aren't they talking? <laughs> why aren't they talking? That was the whole show. Uh, and trying to explain, um, Angelina's so moved by her dance that she's unable to speak right now. Nah. I not, think the live show. show of being, like I did, I, I was. it was the same day as an England World Cup match and I was watching it on my phone. <laughs> Uh, I think I got when I got my photo taken with them everything afterwards my wife stopped me looking at my phone quite rightly uh, but I think they did it with puppets and then the people and they're quite big puppets I think that's what they did and then they were talking so it did they were able to talk but um, I believe I think they I wanted the live I wanted Pando to be uh, executed at the end of the live show I thought that would have made a good the pair that would have been something for the parents it just would been have made hanged. a point in a noose it would have been good um, so look, it's lovely to have you back, Pippa. I want to say uh, thank you very much for coming back. The last time you were on, you followed uh, Brian Blessed, which was quite Brian a. Blessed. That was I, I felt that you uh, you did very well, and it was still a very good podcast. But I feel it was a little unfair on you because it I, was a it was a different, yeah. it was a weird atmosphere in the in the room. I felt like I needed to come on like with Sage and sort of cleanse the cleanse the aura of the space because yeah. it was but we couldn't we couldn't have there was no way anyone could have I was thinking like who could have thought no one could follow Brian <laughs> Blessed because all we did in the end was speak about Brian Blessed yeah. because his he was still there but he left the building but he was still his, there his voice was still echoing around the walls echo, and also the audience were all kind of like stuck to their chairs you know in that kind of 90s film like god dude man the voice was big uh, so so everyone was in shock we were all in yeah. shock if, if anything we should have just processed our trauma together uh, during <laughs> I think, that time I think we did a bit. well yeah yeah um, so so it's great to be back back uh, and yes. um, and not follow follow Brian um, although uh, to be honest very grateful for the chance to follow Brian because <laughs> it means I can say I've been in a room with Brian yeah well and um, you've headlined you've had a headlined above Brian blessed that's what <laughs> As yeah, headline or as people say, the other person wanted to leave early. Uh, <laughs> well, I had that when I was doing very early on when I was doing, and I would hardly did any gigs. So in nineteen ninety, uh, and uh, Avalon maybe ninety one, Avalon were booking like a student tour, and they they looked after Dennis Leary, uh, and I was the support for Dennis Leary, but Dennis Leary wanted to go home, <laughs> so Dennis Leary did the middle spot, and I headlined like probably something like my 20th gig or something like that as I headlined for Dennis Leary and did really well because also if you go on last people sort of think well Dennis Leary he's better than Dennis Leary so he must be good so I had yeah, quite yeah. I had unusually had quite a good gig but uh but, yeah. You have to hold it up. If they say you're going, out, you're going on last, you have to go on with the attitude of I'm the best, even yeah. though inside you're like, they just want it. So many times I would have to go on after the most famous person because the most famous person wanted to go home early, which is so un-rock and roll. Like, that's not what... And you as a new actor, like, what? The most famous, coolest person wants to go home early. This is not what I signed up for. And then suddenly you're having to stand there and be like, yeah, I'm better than, insert famous person's name. It's also that disappointment when you're a new act, that disappointment that everyone isn't just hanging around for the, like, not just the show, but out. You think everyone's going to hang around in the dress room and have drinks, and, you know, it's, and it did happen a little bit, I think, but not, but mostly not, mostly. Oh. You think, why would you do this job if you just want to go home? And then you, yeah. then you have a life and are old, and you think, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, basically, <laughs> after about seven years, yeah. you go, oh, now I know why everyone wants to go home. <laughs> 
Why, why would you want to stay? I remember once doing one of my first ever gigs was in a student union, and it was again like a five minute spot. It was part of a competition, I think, even. And Rob, um, oh, Rob which Rob was it? Rob, ding, ling, 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 ding, ding. <laughs> you have to help me. Rob, the Rob uh, with the guitar. Not Delaney, Rob. No, um, I do know who you mean. Oh my God, I hate when I can't remember names. Rob. Rob. Anyway, the running know. Rob, the running, he runs. No, he runs now, he runs. Yeah. He does yeah. podcasts with Tonks, isn't it? Yeah, no. Paul Tonkinson yeah. and Rob. But I can only think, of, I thought Delaney, <laughs> now I can only think of Bryden, so this is just old age. I know him very well. Rob, we know someone him. Will, someone will come oh up. Oh my God, this is awful. Rob! Uh, anyway, so Rob, who we all know. Yeah, and, Rob, um, we just call him Rob because we know him so call- well. We don't need to <laughs> mention his surname. <laughs> to say his name. Rob with a guitar. He was headlining, we were all doing crappy spots, and then afterwards we all had some uh, awkward plate of chips. They, they were like, do you want food? And we're like, yeah. And then the only food left was chips, so we were just sat at a table while the students were all getting drunk and snogging eating these <laughs> chips and I sort of went oh gosh is this it uh, and he was like yeah yeah this is it <laughs> this is how it is <laughs> this is it I'm afraid Rob Deering of course we both thank knew it was you. Rob Deering thank Rob you to Deering. thank you to a monkey sh- shaver in the chat room for working out who that was someone suggested Beckett but it's not, it's not. no it wasn't Rob Beckett no because he doesn't ding-a-ling, ding-a-ling. he doesn't go so. lost a lot of weight Rob Deering and, oh, and, yeah. and kept it off very impressive he wouldn't be eating those chips now would he he wouldn't, no. he wouldn't have it that's what that was probably the day he thought that's, this is it I'm yeah, that's it. That I'm changing it. my ways. Now he's all hummus and carrots. <laughs> so look, let's talk about your book first of all, which might take, oh, we might talk about it all the way through because it's um, it's extremely good. As I say, I've got I it on audio book and as a book. Oh, look, it kind of slightly goes on the green screen as well because this oh, shouldn't really. It's yellow. I don't know why that's happening. Um, <laughs> oh, there's a bit of green there. Um, it's uh, improv your life. Uh, the first thing I want to say is one of the footnotes in it says, "If you see me in person." Ask me if I remember the reason chocolate chew jingle. Do you remember the reason chocolate chew jingle, uh, Pippa? I'm guessing you do. Otherwise, it'd be it'd be weird if you went. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. All that chocolate and all that chew, just right for you. The reason chocolate chew. I'll be honest, this line I'm not sure about the words, but there's always a reason for a chocolate chew. Reason. The chocolate chew. Wow. Thank you very much. Don't remember it at all. I think, I think weirdly, I was on an off-menu podcast uh, last weekend, uh, the, the uh, Redemption Dinner, where you come back and can redo your choices. And as I did, lots of joke choices the first time I had quite a lot to change. But I'm pretty sure that James Acaster started seeing that, and, that's, and I hadn't heard it then either. So it's, Which is so interesting, because back. my lockdown hair has made me look like James Acaster. <laughs> <laughs> so many people have said you look like James Acaster at the moment. So, um, uh, yeah, I'll, I see that when you did there a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, you know, yeah, okay. He gets yeah, a lot yeah. of work. He can't possibly do it all. And I think sometimes no, exactly. some of these guys must have stunt doubles to go I, in. I, I think do you could do it. Just give me a roll net. I think you could do it. I could do it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I put a cabbage in his room. Oh yeah. I did. I think <laughs> So I don't really remember reason. I don't really remember reason chocolate cheese at all. What, well, what, you've what missed year, out. What, what year would that be? I was probably, you know, taking drugs and uh, you probably were. I was probably um, in hot tubs I, with supermodels. I would have been like thirteen. Hot tubs. Hello, as if um, <laughs> I was probably. It was probably like ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, that's yeah, that was that the time. height height of my TV fame. So I was, oh. I was at home playing Civilization two at the weekend. That's what I was doing <laughs> then. So I wouldn't have time to what see reason. 
What was the period of your TV? Well, it was basically uh, 95, 96, 98, 99 was our, was our four. So that was our TV fame though. It was, it never, it sort of is a weird, we're going to talk about you later. Uh, no, that's a, fine. <laughs> no, the reason, the reason I ask is because I never saw your TV. I have you no were too idea what busy you did. Eating but too busy busy eating, learning, <laughs> learning theme tunes. But the, um, but I knew who you were. Like, I, was, right. and that's proper fame, isn't it? When people don't have never seen you, but they're like, oh yeah, Richard Herring is a comedian. Right. That's I, proper. I, you made it. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. It felt very much while we were there in it. Felt very much like people were not aware. Of so well, let me tell you, a 13-year-old in W5 was eating Reason Chocolate <laughs> Chews going, I know who Richard Herring I think maybe we had a good hit rate amongst 13-year-olds. I think that was probably true, which meant that like about 10, 15 years later, people came to my gigs. But at the time, you know, people... Our gigs were not well attended, I think it's fair to say. So, I, you know, I don't well, think they were that famous. I'm sorry to bring that up. No, it's all right. I've, I've, I've processed it. Because, well, this is partly what your book is about. There's, I mean, your book, it lets, uh, it's, there's, a, it, there's a lot going on. So, I mean, I think maybe last time you were on, we talked about how you have been giving, doing, in, doing this as a, a business in which you sort of use improv techniques to help businesses and people in their lives. And that's sort yeah, of yeah, yeah, so so I te- the- I improv, yeah. So I teach improv. I've been teaching improv. I've been teaching improv for about 10 years. Um, but I like, yeah, I love teaching it because I think it's the best. I think it's what it's like a martial art for the brain. So everyone should learn it. Yeah. So, so this book sort of gives away all your techniques and all the, what you've learned. And it's really, I think, you know, there's a, it's, it sort of is really a self-help book and I don't read self-help books. So you've tricked me into reading a self-help book, but I think it's a really, it's a, but it's, but also it's not just full of bullshit either. You know, it is actually proper, the proper things that, which I, which I feel like a lot of self-help books are just like, how can we find vulnerable people and make them pretend they're going to feel better about themselves? And they're not um, like, like that Paul McKenna does. I can make you a millionaire. That oh my God. Yeah. You got to think. I, you, well, that was my big fear work. actually was because um, when in, two, in 2009, I did a comedy show uh, in the Edinburgh Fringe the year after I'd, been nominated for best new show so the, the the show where you go oh no one cares about you anymore and um and uh, one of the characters was someone who was obsessed with paul mckenna and his book i can change your life in seven days which i think is the worst claim that anyone could make um anyway but in it he talks about how if you're having a if you uh, if you sort of have really bad voices in your head that you should imagine the voice traveling down and then coming out of your thumb and then have a conversation with your thumb. <laughs> and then and I was like, this is the way. And so I just acted this out, obviously, on stage and to, you know, three or four people laughing quite hard. And um, and then, uh, anyway, cut to me writing my book, going, oh, my God, have you just decided to become Paul McKenna? And, of course, there's a whole chapter called The Eagle of Despair, which is about the voice in my head that I call. And it, so I was like, oh, you're just the same. You're just Paul McKenna, but less successful. Well, I don't, I think it's interesting both. I mean, it's interesting for performers or people who are interested in performers. But I think it does, it does as the book you know it's obviously out to state it the the techniques do work for just the general things like shyness or lack of confidence um uh, but just because that and and just by you you you've talked very honestly about your life which i like so as much as there's uh, lots of great techniques and stuff there's just fun bits where you talk about having terrible ex-boyfriends and anal fissures you know which is you know it gets quite it gets quite uh, 
They wouldn't let me use the word anal. I think I write that once. I write anal fish. And but the first time I wrote that whole bit, which to tell your audience is just about how how often we'll we'll like endure physical pain because it's easier to deal with than it is to deal with the actual thing that's going on in life. So we're like, I'd rather have my ass bleed than I would just talk about that problem I have or solve that problem. Um, But the first time I wrote it was like, anyway, so my anus get bleeding, and there was my anus, my anus, my anus, and the editor was like, I just can't cope with the word anus being in there that much can we change it so now it's i think it says butt doesn't it my butt my butt which is much better but obviously my butt would i say my actually i'd probably say my bum but bum looks weird my bum (laughs) well we should be able to talk about these things openly but i think that it's sort of it's uh, and you're honest about your own uh trajectory as a comedian which most comedians go through in that you know you're talking about your ambition um, as as I, in, when you first started and thinking you had wanted your own TV show by the time you're 29 <laughs> and, and then being disappointed, you know, and being disappointed as I did have my own TV show by the time I was 29, but it was still disappointing because then I didn't have my TV show once I was over 29. Uh, so, you know, that, I, I think you, the longer you're in this job or any job, I guess, you sort of start to realise the realities of it. But you're honest about your own shortcomings and your own... I mean, not, it's not exactly vanity, but it's, it's ambition, isn't it? Yes, and well, it and is vanity it. as well, though. It's but but the vanity is kind of hiding complete insecurity, isn't it? Yeah. At that at that age, because you don't, because actually, you learn on the job, and if you start in the job going, I'm good, I'm the best. You're kind of not giving your space to yourself, space to grow, which is I also talk about in the book, which is like you have to be allowing yourself to fail rather than every time you fail thinking the world has ended. Um, but also that weird thing where you're in your head, and I don't know if you had this at that age, where you're like, because people are giving you attention, so people are going, oh, Pippi, you're so brilliant, you're wonderful. Um, but And a bit of your head's going, I don't think I am, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm okay. Like I, I think I'm quite funny, but I don't think I've quite mastered it yet. Um, but, but people, are, so then, then you're like, oh, maybe I am, maybe I'm really brilliant. Um, so that, that difficulty of trying to manage the fact that people... People bullshit you, right? Sure. Because they want you to be brilliant. Because they want they want you to be the solution to their next um, six part series that they can sell. Yeah. Um, so and so and a bit of you has to believe you could do it, but also you have to have that real reality check of like, actually, I don't think I can deliver this right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, but it's, it's, it's a difficult time. Yeah, it is. But it's it's interesting to see someone going through it and learning, and you're obviously a lot more. It's about sort of calming down a little bit, isn't it, through doing this stuff and through through what you've learned through improv to to get to this point. And you know what you do. And I was watching um, a little bit of you. I was watched your vegetables. I love vegetables song that's on your website. And uh, so you, when you're doing uh, your uh, you know, improvised musicals and you're making, you know, you're literally making up these really good songs. And it's it's incredible to watch it. And it's when, as you know, even as a as someone who's worked in the business for 30 years, I watch that and go, how the fuck is she doing this? Because it looks, you know, there's bits where you go, yeah, I can see it, it is definitely improvised, but it actually, the it's so confident and so assured and so, and it's genuinely, like, brilliant. The song's properly brilliant. And, and I'm presuming you don't just go to the pianist let's just use that tune we did last night because <laughs> you can see bits where the piano's not you know where he's trying to follow you and he you know so you would be both improvising and yet it comes out so well so you know you are you you're you're very very accomplished uh, as a as a performer and it does just does take that length of time to get there but i think it's it's that sort of realizing that that's that in itself is the uh, prize isn't it that's better than uh, you know 
the fact that you have this incredible skill, obviously very successful show, showstoppers, that's in the West End anyway, so I, I don't think you'll feel too bad about it. But I, but I also think it's about, actually, I don't think I enjoyed any shows pretty much that I did in my 20s because I was constantly in them going, right, what what do I need to do? What? How do I make this good? Um, so it was all about, like, um, getting through it. Yeah. Um, and that was such a weird realisation to be like, oh, I could be doing this 20 minutes of stand-up and having a good time. Uh, like, that was such a strange idea that I always felt like each 20 minutes was an, a massive endurance of, of uh, okay, I've got to do this, and by the end I have to have done it well, which is kind of really messed up, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then occasionally I would do a show and just have the best time. Like, I remember doing, generally, Comedia Brighton, I just love as a venue. And I remember doing the late show, and late shows, you know, they're not often great, are they, in late shows? Um, it is mostly crowd control. Um, and I just remember this guy being dressed as a Mexican wrestler and doing five minutes of me and him just like shouting at each other, <laughs> but in a really great, funny kind of improvised, we're together in this bunker, there's a man dressed as a Mexican wrestler. And I, just, I really remember that as like, oh, this is really fun, which surely should have been a sign to me of like, oh, the, the thing you enjoy the most is shouting uh, with a man as a Mexican wrestler and like creating a little story, a little narrative. Um and I actually, and, and, and so I've always felt like, actually, I really like heckles. Um, and then I was doing, um, not just a minute, what's the other one? Um, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Yeah. With, um, and Jack D was on with Harry Hill. And I said, and I said, uh, we're just chatting, you know, around. And I said, uh, oh, I, I really love hecklers. <laughs> and obviously, as two single, you know, men who do stand up where they, they've got a show, they were like, oh, we hate heckler they ruin everything and and i was it was just a funny conversation to have where i was like wow we have such a different approach to hecklers whereas for me a heckler is like such an offer like oh this could you know forget what we were gonna do let's do what this is um and whereas they're like you're ruining my show probably slightly different in a you know a 2000 seat venue rather than a of course, 200, but, 200 seat comedy club. But that's interesting because i think like my my uh inclination i think is in my 20s was i you know i I would. I was. It was to write something and learn it and stick to it and be very solid with it. And and I, you know, I, I talked to Reggie Hunter about this, but I saw him do a gig where he seemed to just improvise an entire set about what had happened to him that day. Uh, and I just and that was in about two thousand and four. I just thought that'd be amazing to do that. But actually, you know, that that ability to just make stuff up and and go with it and have the confidence to do that. You, you know, you can do it if you, and actually you're tethering yourself to a script or you're tethering yourself to a situation. And, and then if, you know, if you can't cope with things going wrong, uh, it's quite, there was a, there was a, um, you see that clip of the Australian comedian who was doing material about Prince Philip. And then halfway through the gig was told Prince Philip had literally just died. Um, and he and it was like this amazing moment because he was oh fuck, but then he just sort of went back in to doing his, it, oh. d- doing his set with yeah. the, with the tenses slightly. Ch- you can see like it almost looked like he was improvising. You go, oh no no, he's just gone back into his set. And yet you think this is a you know you can you can get twenty minutes out of just the embarrassment and the the hilarity of you finding yourself in this situation it was still great and there was still, you know there was loads of good stuff in it but it sort of i felt slightly disappointed he went back to his prepared material rather than just exploring the but just the trusting situation. the moment yeah yeah because yeah, the situation the was so bizarre and so unusual that he you know even if she's going what the fuck what are the chances of that and then just see where that went and i think it's it's it sort of feels there's a thing that i felt reading your book which was and i don't know if it, what bit it came out of directly but it just sort of made me think about jokes right and not really when stand-up comedians tell jokes 
but when regular people just tell jokes, they're sort of like it's sort of a dead comedy. It's like someone having a prepared thing. They're they're so not funny or so uh, insecure about their own funniness that all they can do is learn a prepared thing that, so, that <laughs> someone else has done that the person you're telling to has almost certainly heard. Uh, it's like Gary Sparrow using uh, you know the Beatles songs and. Elton John songs to look good, except he doesn't look good because everyone's heard it. Uh, and you know, and I really always hated jokes. You know, once I got over at the age of six, because and I realised it was because of that they don't have any of that spark of improvisation or personality. If it's a comedian on stage doing jokes that they've written, that's a different thing. But if it's a, someone telling a joke. Well, well, I don't know. So I think it depends. Again, it would depend how they brought the joke in. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it's about whether it's whether you're in the moment or if you're. But it's like protecting yourself from the moment. So if you and I were having a chat, and again, it doesn't really work the example because we're comedians. But but um, but you know, okay. Like so, if my dad came in a room and was like, was like, oh, I heard a very funny joke. Here's a funny joke. Why did the? And then I say, stop. It's probably racist. <laughs> but um, he. But but the fact is that he's kind of bringing it in with that energy of, oh, I heard this thing and I have to share it with you. Rather than maybe what you're talking about is that person. Like when I used to work in an old man's pub which I loved working there but a couple of the characters there like they just would never reveal anything of themselves they would just be like you know three men walk into a bar and blah 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 um and you'd be like who are you <laughs> who are you why why is that the only thing you're willing to share yeah um but I have to say because I, I love jokes I've still got some of the joke books that I got when I was I bought joke books since I was like seven all nice. of those ones you know knock knock jokes and all that but it's um, sort of about not trusting yourself to be funny. When my daughter tells jokes and she's six, she doesn't know what's going to happen in the next bit. And they're always funny as a result yeah. because they're not, they're not they're... jokes, but they're just, she'll start with something, with something that sounds like the beginning of a joke, but isn't. And then the next bit will be something else. And it's always really enjoyable because it's coming out of nowhere. And I, that's what I feel as a comedian, and certainly as a comedian going so long who used to do much more scripted stuff, that's what I just love now when you'd sort of, having a chat with someone you know especially in podcasts and stuff like that i did um uh, alice uh, fraser's gargle podcast the other day and uh, she just sprung a question on me and i thought i've literally got nothing for it uh i've got i don't know i hadn't thought about this at all and i just let my mind go blank and just said whatever came into my head and it was you know it was it was good it was all right and it sparked a conversation off and that's much more exciting than you know than and i think even when i write a show i'm, I'm improvising it each night and changing it anyway so it does there is that element of, of moving away from the script. But I think yeah. it just takes, well, it doesn't, you know, some people go into embrace straight away, I suppose, but it just takes, this last year for me, I've been doing a lot of stuff that's basically improvised online and with other people and with puppets and having a breakdown. Uh, but it's so, I'm finding it so liberating. So a lot of this book really kind of spoke to me. As, as well, I think also the interesting thing, because what you just said there was, um, so uh, that some people go into improv immediately and actually, um, I think I do say in the book, I hope I do, that uh, improv is, you know, it is improvisation is a thing in itself. And then what I do is improvise musical theatre or improvise comedy, like if I'm doing the comedy store players or something. Um, uh, and so the fact that you're finding it great to improvise now when you're going to podcast, it's because you have an amazing body of knowledge of how to craft jokes and how to write jokes and how to be funny. So, so you can improvise because you've got all those skills to draw on. So all the difference is you're now in the moment with your skills. So I, I often say like a, a really good surgeon is a brilliant improviser <laughs> because they are there and they have all the skills and the knowledge and they have a plan 
But if something happens, they're cool as a cucumber that they can actually go, okay, we're going to have to X, Y, Z, quick, boop, boop, this is going to happen. Sure. Um, and, and so that's what, that's really the truth of improvisation. It's just being cool within the moment that you're, you can create something and find something. Exactly as you just said, I let my mind go blank and I trusted that something funny would come out. And it might not be the whole of the joke, but it sparked a conversation. That's really, that, for me, that's the exciting bit is when you just trust yourself to make enough of an offer that something can, can happen. Sure. But I've been improvising with a puppet and I'm still surprised by what the puppet does. And that's quite, you know, that's quite an interesting place to get to because I sort of thought, oh, well, you know, with, if, it, if you have someone else to bounce off, that sort of helps. But is this going to work? Because uh, there's a secretly, both of them, are, it's me doing the, doing, making the puppet talk. It doesn't look like it, but it is. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but it somehow it still does work. But as long as you you've sort of got a yeah, trust just trust not to work out what they're going to say before they say. But it. also that that your your bollock puppet has to have its own personality. You know, so yeah. Nina Conti when she's talking to Monkey, yeah. those amazing. You know, I don't know if you've watched any of her night night her night, but no, her nighttime broadcast. She's been oh, doing like going to bed with Monkey. Yes, and um, it's so funny. But again, like she's all constantly surprised by what she is saying essentially to herself, uh, and that's why it's so so amazing. And and in my classes, I make people improvise with themselves, um, so they have to play two characters, yeah. and they can either do it like "Hello, John, how are you? I'm very well," or they can do it like this. Um, let me try and get that in the frame. Yeah. Whoop. Like uh, Paul McKenna with uh, a hey, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello, John, how are you? I'm okay. Um, and people are constantly amazed at what they can create if they improvise with themselves, you know. But yeah. that's what we're doing all day long is improvising. It's yeah. all, you're, all day long you're improvising with yourself. So um, <laughs> sort of bring some attention to the fact that you're, you're making offers all the time and you're probably ignoring them. But it is amazing that, you know, and again, even as a former and even now, and even though I do improvise a lot of stuff, you know, there's, there's moments you think, oh, God, I'd be really nervous about doing that or you know there's that dread I suppose, and I think maybe it's a British thing as well partly but the, uh, the dread of being dragged into something and having to participate and whether you'd manage to do it but as you say you manage to do this all your life everything in your life is improvised and yeah. I think what's great about about what you're about the book is that kind of acknowledgement that failure is not only um okay it's sort of important it's got to you've got to have the failures you'll learn you learn more through your failures but also the you know the failures then and the, and even if they're a humiliating failure that kind of gives you the the impetus to not make that mistake again in you know mm. not just in comedy or in talking but in, in relationships or whatever you know you're learning from your failures much more than your successes yeah. and I, I think and again like you wonder how much of that is just age that you learn that yeah and but then also as comedians like that is the first lesson is you're going you're going to literally stand up in front of a load of people and there's going to be a day where they all collectively decide they hate you. <laughs> and there will be no real logic as to why today they've chosen to hate you. And the same in Edinburgh, you know, Edinburgh Festival. There's always one show where they've chosen to come and they've paid money to see you. They've chosen you and they still decide to hate you. Uh, and my last full length show I did in Edinburgh, uh, I, there was this, what, I was having such a good run. The whole run sold out. Everyone's coming because they've like, they really want to see the show. And this one day, 
everyone just absolutely hated me. And of course I had loads of audience participation because I always do. And every single person I brought up was like, oh God. I'm just like, what? But I've been doing this for this long now. I'm good at this. And I'm still dying on my ass today. And, I, and I'm just going to have to accept today I die. And, so at the, and get all the way to the end. And it ended with a lady pulling a, a party popper on the last note of the song and uh, and she couldn't, she couldn't make it work and it was like this is this is perfect and of course that was the day that all the reviewers were in thank you edinburgh thank it you does, so much that does always seem to happen i think the i think this the the, the story that um i really like just in terms of well, your own sort of growth as a, a performer in the sort of epiphany of how it works, and it's very recognisable as well, is you talking about being abroad with the, with some older comedians and, and one of them's just complaining all weekend that you're doing gigs in, in a foreign city and uh, and he's just complaining about his career the whole time. One of them's chirpy, one of them's not. And you get in a lift together and the, the grumpy one gets out first and... Um, and the other one's going, yeah, he's a bit of a, <laughs> a bit grumpy, that guy. But that sort of realisation, I mean, it's quite... Because I, I had a very similar thing, which, again, I've talked about before with uh, the Montreal Festival. Uh, I just, I hated it. This the last time I went, and I, was, I did it, and I expected to be, like, do a couple of bigger gigs, and I was doing these really tiny gigs, and all the other acts in these gigs were just doing basically racial stuff of their own race, and, uh, you know, but... It just basically awful caricature jokes. Uh, and I kind of walked back from this club. I decided not to get a cab. And I walked like, two miles back to the hotel and really thinking, I'm going to give up comedy. And I got in a lift and Billy Connolly was in the lift. <gasps> and, and was funnier. And it was a one, I don't know if you've done much of it. It's like a, the hotel has a lift that takes you up to the first floor and then another lift. So in this lift, this lift that went one floor, he was funnier than anything I'd seen in the rest <sighs> of... Just casually, and I came out. I left the kid. No, you know, comedy's great. It's amazing, and so like it just made me feel like your story and my and that story just made me wonder whether there's like lifts are actually just ships to a different dimension, (laughs) where you know you get get in and you have a profound realization. But basically, that was you the the way. I mean, you 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 can say what the uh, the the chirpier comedian said but he basically uh, yeah you, you... Well, you made, made it all better well um, that's so interesting I just I'm now thinking I wonder if every comedian has every comedian who carries on has the story of a comedian who changes their mind about <laughs> yeah. what they're doing in a lift um, in a lift yeah in a lift because <laughs> um, yeah because so the chirpier comedian was like um, was like that guy's a bit of a Mona Lisa isn't he because he'd been such a he just was like this is the worst gear my life's terrible I'm not famous no one loves me blah 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 and uh, he was just moaning and no one could get word in so you know so we're just all just listening to this misery and then he gets out of the lift and then this other guy was like god he's a bit of a problem he's a bit of a misery isn't he and then I sort of laughed and then I just sort of told him that that week I'd had I'd had a really bad time and I, I had my first proper um, I was in a show I was in a prop supposed to be in a big show on a big channel and then they cut just cut me out of the show with no explanation <gasps> and um it was so heartbreaking and even now like telling you, I can still feel the pain because it's not it's not to pretend that that's not a big deal for a comedian for that moment to happen and then this guy just said, oh, yeah, once I was given my own TV show and I'd signed off on it and everything. And it was going to be my name. My name was it was the blah, blah show. And um, and then the BBC um, changed commissioner and they and they just cancelled his TV show. So he even signed a contract yeah. and everything. And then he was like, do you know what? I get to do what I love 
and um, I get paid to do it and I have a I have a great time and I've got a lovely family and kids so uh, I realise that that my career is is brilliant like I get to do what I want to do and not many people can say that and I just remember just thinking oh, yeah I've been looking at this all wrong <laughs> <laughs> But I think it was beautiful. Well, you know, you say, I think in the book, it just feels like uh, it's been sort of set up as in a drama to make yes. the young comedian realise the two the two paths they could go on. And it, but it is, you know, but it's so much about mental attitude, and I don't think that's just comedy. But you do note it is heightened in comedy, and the and the sort of people who, yeah, who who well, again, some people just. But I, I think you talk about this is that some people just see the world as. Uh, you know, they're the central character in the story of the world, and everyone else is the peripheral characters. And this is a film about them, and they don't consider that they're that that you know that that that's not the case, really. Yeah. And so you know, so they can't they've, they they've got it all mapped out. And they think I've got to get to this place. Um, but yeah, that realization, I guess, that the work's more important, and yeah, to be just happy and yeah. well, just doing doing something that you actually want to do. Because yeah. at the end of the day, I got to a point with stand up where it was like this is really making me very miserable and kind of feeling like I had to benevolently keep doing it like the comedy world if you stop <laughs> what will happen to the comedy world so they will fill you with another middle spot that's what will happen <laughs> uh, but it's just but it's just feeling like um, there's no point doing anything particularly something like that where it's not like you're you're doing that for the money you know at that point yeah um you're doing it because you're not doing that to pay the bills you're you're sort of getting on a train and going to cambridge and getting paid 30 quid to do a set and 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 for some reason you think you should that you should be grateful um but yeah rather than just going actually maybe do less gigs uh write better material and um, focus on things that you love doing um why is that so hard to learn it's strange, isn't it, really? Yeah, but it's you know it's a, it's a difficult thing, but I think it is. But I, I I love that you know because I think I went through the same you know I I went through the, uh, the same thing where I you know and, and my career did seem to be going on that trajectory and you think oh and then this happened this happened and it was all happening and then suddenly it stopped happening and you've got to get used to that and you've got to get used to all the comparisons that are made uh, between you and the people you've worked with and all that sort of mm. stuff uh, and um, you know but actually. You, that you, I think if you are happy, and and I think this is so so true of so many successful comedians that they're not they're not even happy because they're still aiming for something and they still haven't hit it or they thought they would get they they, they would become famous and then that would you know show all the people who mock you know yeah but also, or also like it's going to stop in some kind of sense but there's <laughs> yeah. the fact that you have to keep doing it you yeah. have to keep proving yourself and you have to stay at the top rather than be like. Um, so I was like, Bo Burnham is a really great example actually of someone who just went okay I've done really great musical comedy I'm going now bye uh, I'm going to now I'm going to write the screenplay that everyone's going to bash on about and then who knows what he's going to do next you know he'll probably start some kind of teak furniture company but but that, that idea of like going oh, okay I've done that thing um, so rather than having to be the king of the castle be yeah. like you know people always go oh, don't you don't want to be a jack of all trades like why not? It sounds like Jack's having a good time. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a bit, Jack. but it's about your own personal happiness, and it feels like within, you know, within your fifteen to twenty years of impro that it's that you've sort of it's it has helped sort you out, and you seem oh, yeah. like a calmer, more together person than you were, and you you kind of understand. And not, I don't think you were ever a nightmare. <laughs> I think internally you were you were by your own admission oh, yeah. you were sort of not not happy necessarily. Um, uh, and yeah, and I think it, it is really interesting the way that 
the, the, I mean, the book is very, very well worth uh, reading. I don't, we'll hold it up. Okay. There you go. Hold Impro- it up. Improv, improv yeah. your life. Yours won't sparkle like mine does, um, but uh, it can do. Uh, but uh, look, there's a couple of other things I want. I mean, we'll we'll come back to that. Lot, I mean, there's so much to talk to you about improv, and there's not much time. Uh, I, would, I, would, I would just like to say that a yeah. lot of people have said, oh, I didn't realise it was a play on improve. <laughs> and I think, how, how? How did you not know that? What did you think it meant? What did it mean? Improv Impro- your life. Just, just start improv yeah. more. That's okay, it's great. Uh, I found a website. This is, you know, there's, have you seen these net worth websites? Have you ever come across these? That they, no. you put in someone's name and they'll give you their net worth, what they're, how oh, much right. money they've got. Uh, I put Pippa Evans in. Your net worth is seven million dollars. <laughs> this website. Um, so I just wanted to check whether that was true or not. Have you got seven? Oh, I mean, it's I mean, pretty it's close. Pretty close. Yeah. I think uh, my net worth. I don't know. I don't know what my um, my you know financial worth is, but my my net. You know, if I was to cast a net, that's <laughs> pretty much what I'd want to catch. Yeah. Yeah. Seven minutes. That's pretty doing pretty well. What I liked about this website uh, is that it has your nicknames on there as well and according to this website your nicknames are Pippa Evans Evans and Pippa yeah. <laughs> that's what just the best thing I've ever seen about. why even bother uh, putting that why how did you find this website I just put Pippa Evans in Google I, I, I researched my I used I didn't use Microsoft I used Google okay no uh, and Bing. I put Pippa Evans and that's what came up um I looked at Rich Tang. I'm not on the same website as yours. So I'm not considered famous enough to be on that. On a, on a different uh, website, my net worth is $1 million to $5 million. So you're worth more than I am. Wow. That's um, impressive. Uh, on that website, it says Rich Tang is popular as not applicable. Occupation, not applicable. <laughs> so, you know, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on your website. You, yeah. Wow. That is... Um, well, what a way to find out that you're not relevant. <laughs> Um, and what else did I have for you? Um, uh, I, I was quite interested. You talk, I don't know where that where I saw this, but you, we were talking about meeting. But you've been meeting. Oh, maybe it's on Twitter. You've been meeting people in real life that you only knew on Zoom before. Which yes. I, I'm looking forward to this. I've started working with a couple of people I've never met uh, and have quite good working relationships with now. So it's going to be. So have you actually have you met people you've been on Zoom with it, or is that is that? Yeah, yeah, we met and um, it was just very strange because obviously we didn't know anyone had legs. Uh, and so you're like, wow, you've got legs. That's very exciting. Um, and also just um, because we've been learning Swedish, it was my Swedish class. Okay. We've been learning Swedish. Hey, hey, door. Ticker on pasta. Um, the... Uh, to just to sort of go, oh, we don't we don't know each other at all, actually. Um, but it was, it was actually very, very fun to be... I couldn't tell if we were weird, like, do we, are we weird or um, have we just forgotten how to speak to each other? Like, have you just forgotten? Yeah. Because, because we're not, you've not had a conversation. There was a weird moment where one of them sat quite close to me <laughs> and I was like, I can't tell if this person is flirting or I've just changed like, what's close and what's not close. <laughs> um, so I was like, but it felt like flirty sitting. Right. Um, but he was like an old man, so I don't think he was flirt. But it's just the fact that our body—we've we, completely forgotten about what distances mean because yeah. we've all been standing the distance of "I don't want to talk to you" for the last year. That's the that the distance of the distance of social distancing is the distance of um, of I'm trying to get away from you, but you keep talking. <laughs> 
I, I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> and so, so that means if you now meet in real life, everyone feels like they're just a bit too close. I think that's, that's true. Well, that's I'm sort of nervous, but I don't know whether I want to, you know, I'm so, I, I enjoy being stuck in my little attic and just uh, being safely distant from everyone. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to meet people in real life. Um, uh, you wrote the finale to Jack Whitehall's Christmas special at the Palladium. Yes, the I Evans. did. What, what was, did. What, how did that um, go? What was it? Well, well um, Jack had a joke about an emu about how when he was a kid he wanted to be an emu uh, in the no he had to be an emu in a nativity play you know how in nativity plays they put everybody in a oh yes funny outfit mm-hmm. um, so his emu so it was about it was a, a, a big musical number about how actually the emu is the star of the nativity uh, and, and I wrote him a musical and you can watch it on Netflix and um, I think it's rather good <laughs> um, and also it was my first time that I wrote something but I was I was away doing something else that weekend, so I couldn't go to the recording. So I felt very like, yes, I can write it, but I can't be there. <laughs> uh, and that felt very show busy. Oh, well, uh, but I love, I love writing songs and I love writing musicals. So if anyone needs a musical or a song written, please do get in touch. Because sometimes what happens is you go, oh, I, I do a lot of improv. And then people think you are, are incapable of writing things down. <laughs> um, so just a reminder that improvisation does not mean you can never write something down ever in the future. But also, you don't need to write it down because you can just do it straight off you can just straight off just get it just out go, there. bang oh here's my song bang there you go it must be must be wonderful um i mean there's a lot of things there's we probably don't have time to get into too much with the with else with the book the the, the ah, you know you know for some reason um as i was listening you talk about minds wandering and stuff and i've been i've actually i've sort of been released in a double way this recently because uh because i've been ill I haven't been exercising or going out at all. So I've been walking the dog again and listening to your book. And so I'm kind of just filled with just absolute over, over <laughs> sensory overload. Uh, and you talk in the book about how difficult it is to concentrate on stuff, but your book kept on making me think. Well, the problem with audio books, you keep thinking about other things. But what it made me want to do was write, I don't know why, suddenly I start thinking I want to write an, my autobiography, but only about occasions I've had jacket potatoes. And I think I might do it. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever done that, but I suddenly thought I've got about 20 stories involving jacket potatoes. Yeah, and I, and I reckon, because immediately I'm like, I remember that jacket potato <laughs> I had. <laughs> there was an amazing one in Derby. Me and my husband were in Derby for some reason. And uh, we, there was one of those, you know, those kind of jacket potato porter cabins, <laughs> which only British people would ever understand. You know, the jacket potato porter cabin in the middle of Derby Centre, <laughs> city centre. And, um, and, and this was a game changer. It was a hot jacket potato with... Branston pickle, cheese, mm. and then chili flakes. Oh yeah, yeah, I could go for that. That was that was quite that this not, taste sensation. Well, maybe I should do a podcast where I just talk to people about. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I should talk to different celebrities, but only about jacket potatoes, and they can't yeah. talk about anything else. But I, I don't know why that came up. But if it, if I do write that book, I will I will thank you in the credits because it was something in your book, and I wasn't even that. It wasn't in a moment when I was very distracted. I just suddenly thought, oh yeah. So, but I think it's just getting your brain into that point where you're just the ridiculous things come out, don't they? I mean, you you talk about going for the obvious and how embracing your obvious is important. Yeah. Um, but also by going to the obvious, you then the next thing might not be very obvious. I mean, that's sort of how well, it works, it, isn't it? The first improviser says something obvious, the next one can 
springboard. Jump on it. Yeah. And again, we come back to your improvising with yourself. So follow. So follow your obvious. It's really important. Follow your obvious. If I was going to make little badges for the book, it, one of them would definitely be <laughs> follow your obvious because your obvious. So many people don't say their own idea out loud. They wait for someone else to say theirs just to check whether whether it's any good what they were thinking. But there's no way you can really check because because they're they're following their obvious, right? So you have to follow your obvious. And exactly like you said, if it's if it's really, really obvious, you just have to yes and that. You just have to build on that idea. And and it will get less and less um, sort of embarrassingly obvious, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So I'm going to write a book about... I'm, I'm going to write an autobiography. Okay. Well, yeah. We probably all thought of that. I'm going to write mine about times I ate jack of potatoes. And that's very... To be honest, I don't know you super well, Richard, but that's very Richard Herring obvious. Yeah. Uh, I and, I, and I love that. I love that. Um <laughs> and um, and they, I always use an example when I'm doing like a talk on, you know, like a talk, of, um, a talk to a group of people. I always say, um, okay, well, if I say the word orange, what do you think of? Um, and I get everyone to write in the chat, you know. And it'll always be like loads of loads of different things. But it's like, so these are all different. And yet they're all correct. Yeah. So this idea that that we all connect different things to to it. And as long as you're connected to your obvious, then then it's a, it's probably going to be at least an okay idea yeah uh, if not a brilliant one yes and i think you know i guess i've i mean because i've all of this is it you know all of these chats i do on this are <laughs> improvised and we never prepare anything with the guests and i think you realize i mean obviously if you i'm talking to comedians you kind of maybe got a bit more of a safety net with comedy wise but you're always confident that it's it's something's going to happen the other person will pick something up if if you fail but also if you know there is it, it isn't even really a failure as long as if you've got the conversation the only failure is to sort of stop talking yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> just have a silence yeah and also but also you would have been on podcasts or interviews or um you know wireless back when you were on the telly yeah. um the that where they where they've got their set questions and then they can't cope when you go off like me and my husband we were in america one day one day and we were, we were on this like tour of this old victorian knee housey thing and it was just me and my husband on this tour and the guy was going through his like in, in 1869 meryl did canthy first came to the united states of america you know and he was doing all that and i, and I kept going What's, what's this, Richard? What's this? And, and he wouldn't answer my questions because he was just sticking. And I was like, there's no one else here. There was no reason to stick to this thing. <laughs> I'm just like asking you, what's this? Why is that? Um, so, so the amount of people who stick to their script because they, they're too worried sure. about what, what will happen. And actually, that would be much more interesting if you allowed yourself just to veer off a bit. And so, what do you think in terms of uh, readers of, the, of this book? Is it literally for is anyone? And it's sort of when I say anyone who's lacks self confidence, or uh, it, it's sort of everyone, isn't it? Really, and there's, yeah, there's yeah. very few people, even the people who appear confident, have surely shielding something usually. Yeah, they're all hiding. Yeah. Everyone's hiding something. <laughs> uh, no, no, I think uh, I think it's really a lot of. I've had a lot of feedback from a lot of different people, like women in their 60s and young men in their 20s and um, all the other people in the world. <laughs> but, but for me, that's like quite a big gap, isn't it? That the young men in their 20s and, and uh, women in their 60s saying the same book has made them go, oh, I really thought about that. So, so yeah, I'd hope that anyone who's ever felt a bit stuck, I think that's for yeah. me, that's the big thing. So at the end, it just say you, just, you never have to be stuck. So if you've ever felt stuck, then this is a great book. And I think it's that thing, and I, I really suffered this through my 20s and I'm even my 30s a bit of, 
of I was too shy socially to to get involved in stuff. You know, I wouldn't ask people out. I wouldn't talk to people. I'd spend week, you know, I'd spend my weekends in on my own a lot of the time because I was too shy even to ring my friends and say what are you up to because I was too embarrassed mm. to do it. And the you know that's sort of part of the lesson is just by you know conversation and, and communication. I suppose is the way to solve your problems right if you're having problems talk to someone about it and you, well, know, yeah. you know there's nothing to there's nothing to lose between taking that leap is there if you take a leap and, and try, chat to someone who doesn't want to chat to you then it's still no worse than not chatting to them really. yeah but also but also that so many people put so much pressure that I, I don't know where this pressure came from and I need to like look at it but so many people come on my course and say I just not very good at telling anecdotes I'm like when is this like 1930 like who tells no who, who actually tells an anecdote oh well um, whereas actually what we want is conversation and um and so just this idea that you can join in a conversation by literally just listening yeah. so so actually if we focus more on um am i good at listening that would be such a better way so the whole of the world would be better if we we're like actually all i want is to be a good listener uh, because if you're really listening you can always find something to add always yeah. um but also that you only have to add the next offer so so you don't you know so i could just say one thing now knowing that you can pick up on that, you know, rather than, okay, now I have to tell a really brilliant story, otherwise the whole podcast will break. It's like, no, I just have to say, um, I just need to make one offer that someone else can build on. And I often talk about the idea of texture. So so that um, if you are nervous about having conversations, just make sure that what, the thing you say just has something extra in it that someone can hook into. So rather than saying, uh, I went to the pub yesterday, you could say, I went to this big pub at the end of my road yesterday it's one of those old men pubs stinks a bit of old you know it should have been it would have been a great pub but um but because they banned smoking it now smells like sick <laughs> right so that's the same sentence technically yeah. it's just got a lot more texture in it and that will help someone else join in on your conversation but sure. so often when we're nervous what we do is we only say a tiny thing we'll just say oh, oh uh, yeah I went, I went to a pub <laughs> and then we sort of wait like is the bomb going to explode? <laughs> uh, yeah, but that, I mean, I think that's interesting. I think people do struggle with that, and I think I've struggled with that. And I think it's, you know, that's it, it's that listening, talking, and also uh, you talk about the sort of observing as well, and, and you know, your own body language and other people's body language. You know, you can get a lot from from that sort of stuff. And I think all these exercises, because it's because impro isn't. You talk about this. You, you're sort of practicing the the real world in a in a safe and pretend environment so you can try consequences i love the stuff about talking about kids when you're saying when you do improv for for kids and how they really come up with sort of violent and unpleasant stuff <laughs> because they're testing they're going oh right right so we can do anything and it's safe and we can yeah test out the oh they love it and yeah. you know they and they just come out with this start like the, and the example i give in the book is yeah, we, we like ki they killed everybody in the show so these the people i think that we were climbing up an ice mountain they were just like they die they die everybody dies and so then everybody was on the floor just dead and the narrator went so um what happens now and this little kid's hand went up and went and went they come back to life <laughs> like with a question mark at the end like is that okay we're like yeah of course we can because it's make-believe land but you could see that they were like okay so if you kill everyone the story kind of ends okay well noted noted for the future you know don't um, kill everyone but yeah, yeah but so by great. practicing your you know by practicing conversations and practicing the art of conversation and uh, you know and scenarios through what you talk about in the book then that will really help people in there and does presumably help people in 
in their real life. You've obviously done this with a lot of classes over the years. Yeah, yeah, I've taught loads of people and people and also the other thing, the reason I so the reason I teach my class in a specific way is there's no show at the end. So a lot of improv shows uh, improv classes, because you're learning to improvise comedy, you know, like that's the purpose of the class, there's a showcase at the end so you can invite your friends. But actually because of the purpose of mine is to hopefully give people a bit more confidence um and, and actually their um aims might be really much smaller than standing on a stage and delivering a hilarious half an hour of comedy um so i've had people come who literally can't almost can't speak because they're so shy and by the end of the course they can you can hear them so that's massive um, but if we were then to put them in a show, they would kind of destroy everything that they've succeeded <laughs> yeah. in. So there's no showcase at the end because other, you know, people. They were, I remember doing one class and there was a lady who just couldn't even stand up in front of people. She found it too much to have that attention. And by the end of the the end of the course, she could. She was standing with other people while they were delivering their whatever the story or whatever it was of the game and just the fact that we got her from refusing to be on stage being um, in front of people to being in front of people was was amazing but um if that had been in front of an audience audience that would have been horrific having sure. seen uh, as we know what an audience can how they can destroy us with one kind stroke um, so yeah so is it, that's why I love it is because it's not it's not about making performers and some people you know they do the course and then they go actually I'm, I'm going to go and do improv comedy because I love it so much and that's great uh, but the, but what I'm really interested in is people feeling like they aren't scared of not knowing what's going to happen that's mm-hmm. the most thing because that's what frightens most of us isn't it we don't know what this is leading to where's it going is the plan going to work it's like well actually the only thing we know is what is happening right now so if we get comfortable with not knowing what's over there but kind of being cool with navigating what's over here then then life just becomes a lot easier i think yeah and uh we'll we'll wrap up but uh, uh i also just like the i mean there's a lot about obviously about saying yes yes and and not saying yes but or making sure you say things yes in the right way but it it also seems the power of no uh in life has been quite important to you and you seem to like i think that focusing in on what you want i think like you i'm i'm very prone to sort of saying yeah or like you used to be maybe if something comes in it's very difficult in our business it's very difficult to say no to it um, because you kind of think, oh, what what if I don't ever get any work again and I turn that thing down? But if you say yes to everything, then you sort of overburden yourself. Yeah, and I'm completely. Still saying, but you well, we're be- so trained for that, aren't yeah. we? We're so trained, you know, when you start doing comedy particularly, like, do any open spot, learn your, learn your craft, <laughs> you know, and you do. But then there's something about it that no one ever says, and now you can stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're three years in, you probably don't need to do every shitty five minutes that exists. Um, and uh, actually, a great phrase I heard was opportunity hoarding. And I think that's a great phrase to go like, okay, am I, do I need to do this gig or am I opportunity hoarding? Could someone else be much more beneficial to do this, a, either shitty five minutes or even, a you know, a a better gig um and so go actually i don't need to opportunity hoard this moment um because I, I when i start when i started doing the clubs the clubs proper um i do like triple ups you know where you'd be mm. running from one club and it was horror i hated it <laughs> um, but i was like this is what i've been told you do so i'd be running between it but i love watching the show because of course i like bringing in whatever's happened in the, in the night um so so i was doing for like two or three years these horrible triple ups where i'd just be <laughs> arriving in places not knowing what's gone on done that awful thing you know where you're standing on stage and you go what's your name and the whole audience goes he's called derek he's an accountant we all know <laughs> 
Uh, and it was so horrific. So learning to say no was massive for me. Yeah. And um, and just, but also recognizing that saying no doesn't doesn't ruin everything. Maybe the first time I realized that I should say no more was I was I, I was doing Comedia Bath this time. Oh, yeah. I only tell stories set in the Comedia uh, comedy clubs, and uh, and I turned and I had flu. But I'd been too scared to say, I can't do this gig. Um, and because of that thing of they're going to think you, you're lying and then they'll never book you ever again. And uh, and I went on and I did my first, it was when I was Loretta Main. I did a big song. And everyone was like, woo. And then I just couldn't carry, I had nothing, I had nothing, I had no energy in the tank. And I slowly, slowly died. But in that worst way, like it's kind of when they boo you off, it's like, um, that's quite hard, but at least they're reacting. It was more that just silent... <laughs> Oh dear, <laughs> what happened? And when I came off, the MC just patted me on the back and said, you're not well, are you? <laughs> so that was when I learned that sometimes it's better to just say, better, no, I so. can't do this gig than to say, yeah, 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 I'll be there. I'll just drink seven lem sips and everything will be fine. But all those gigs, all those failures made you who you are today it made That's me right. who i am today not your failures my failures made you i had a lot of failures it's amazing how the, and those are the gigs that 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 you talk about and remember because they are it is sort of an it's important to go through that and it's important to realize what you realize there where most of it is nothing to do you know that's what's interesting i think is when you know, I've had gigs where I was being booed off before I'd stepped on stage because of the way you're introduced. And there's, mm. and even then, you know, when that was happening, I found that quite funny because you sort of think, well, this has definitely nothing to do with me. They well, hate me a, before that, they saw isn't that, I think that's the most amazing <laughs> moment is when you die. I think that's the moment of like you've risen again, is that you're like, ah. I'm, I don't mind. I don't mind. You know, like I did. I did a gig. It was um, quite recent, not recently, but I mean, maybe a couple of years ago. It was for a corporate, actually. And of course, we all know corporates are kind of the worst for dying. Um, but I, I was, int- I was on after the band, and it was for women in tech. So these women have ne- like never get to meet other women because there's so few women in tech. So what they want to do is they want to chat and they want to network. But instead, what they've done, decided to do, is have a band and then have a woman come on and tell them jokes. Um, and as I came on stage um I started and then they just slowly all started turning around because they're at those big round tables you know and just started chatting and um you know you have to do your 20 minutes otherwise you won't get paid so um so I just stood there doing my set to people talking (laughs) uh no one paying me any attention and felt this like real elation of like I'm still here. I'm doing it. I'm doing my set. No one's listening. And my ego is not disturbed. Oh, yeah. And I just remember thinking that was a great day. Like, I feel, I feel elated just telling you that story. Like, yeah, that was a great day, you know. But it's, 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 uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's interesting how failure can be a, such a positive thing. And I like the example you give about the, the, uh, the beat the guy who turned down the Beatles. That if he hadn't turned down the Beatles, the Beatles wouldn't really have happened because they wouldn't have met George Martin. And it, mm. I think that's that's sort of so important. There was a thing in Craig Brown's book about Paul McCartney where when they came, which I didn't know about, when they came back from Hamburg, uh, Paul McCartney went back to work in a factory, and there was a big sort of gap between where the beat and where they were not necessarily going to carry on. And oh, he yeah. got promoted, and had to, and then they came, and the Beatles came to him and said, "We're doing gigs at lunchtime in the cavern." Are you going to come or are you going to stay at this job? And he had to choose between this promotion and going with the Beatles. I won't spoil the book by telling you which route he chose. <laughs> but imagine if he'd imagine if he'd chosen no. to go, yeah, well, I've got a secure job and I've got a promotion. I yeah. just would love to know what that Paul McCartney would have. 
That's yeah, the sliding then, doors film I want to see. Is that? And then would Pete Best have been like, "Don't worry, I can play the bass." <laughs> yeah. And then, and, so then it becomes like, "Oh, poor poor McCartney. He was almost in, he was the fifth Beatle. He's the real fifth Beatle." Well, <laughs> be or, you know, or none of without him. I mean, that, everything just changes, doesn't it, with those little decisions? So it's, but yeah. So you know that those those knockbacks that feel like they're bad things can often be good things and learning from them. So I think this is. I don't think you are. I don't think you have Paul McKenna. I think this is genuinely a very useful self. I think I'm quite happy and together at the moment, but I still found it useful to have everything sort of reiterated. And there was lots of stuff that I thought was interesting. The best thing about the book, though, is it's the only book I know that comes with a dance break. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's worth buying just for that. I'm not going to show you, but there's literally. I thought it might just be in the audio book. Then I looked in the book, and it's in the book as well. And I love yeah. you for that. Big reference. Um, yeah. uh, look, thanks very much for doing uh, the show. Is there what? Uh, are you going to be back in theatres now? Theatres? Have you got any plans to do anything? Um, Showstopper will be back on on the road on the road. Um, but we did. We're back in the West End. Oh my god! On um, June the seventh. Brilliant. Uh, which is really exciting with Showstopper. But we're also still doing our live stream. So I think our next live stream is um, the 23rd, 24th of April, which is probably not useful for your podcast listeners, but for the viewers at home <laughs> right now, please do come and watch. Um, yeah, and uh, that's that, that's kind of it. And then hope for, I'm doing some bits of bobs with my book. Um, yes. And obviously I teach all the time. So if anyone wants to come and learn improv, come learn with me. Brilliant. Uh, we'll put your website in the description and people can check that out. Uh, thank you very much, Pippa Evans. You are fantastic. Next week, I am talking to Annika Rice. <gasps> yes, I am. If you want to watch it live, we're doing it on Monday night because you can't do Wednesday anymore. So Monday at ten at, at 8 p.m. And I'll do snooker on Tuesday at 8 p.m. Um, Annika, Annika Rice, that's not bad, is it? That is amazing. I mean, I'm she's... very excited. Super cool, and she still looks exactly the same. She does. I did a I did a show with her because you know how you always end up doing a show <laughs> with random people, and I was like, "Oh my god, you really you still look like Annika Rice." I don't have to guess. Oh, you're Annika Rice. <laughs> she is Annika Rice. She seems fantastic. She's been very funny on direct messages with me. I'm very much looking. It's probably a good thing. It's going. We're not going to be in the same room because I think? think I think I might get too overexcited by meeting Annika Rice. She still fits in her um, suit. You know, like how um, Olivia Newton-John talks about how she can still wear those black leggings from the end of Greece. Right. It's the same for Annika in her jumpsuit. What a woman. What a woman. Um, and what a woman you are too, Pippa Evans. Thanks. I still fit in my own <laughs> you jumpsuit. You still fit in your jumpsuit. I can't fit in my jumpsuit. Uh, <laughs> Just call me James A. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone at home. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Pippa. Goodbye. You have been listening to Rahalustafer with me, Rich Chang, and my guest, Pippa Evans. The music is, of course, by Pest. I'm indebted to my friend and producer, Chris Evans, not that one. Uh, thank you to Kathleen McKeegan for all the research she does for us at Rahalastapa, rahalastapa.com. Fantastic resource if you want to check it out. Thank you also to Ben Walker for all his production skills on the adverts and more. And this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFosterStripe.com production. Go to GoFosterStripe.com slash badges. If you become a monthly badger, you can give us money to make more podcasts. It will all go to make more podcasts. And you, in turn, will get hundreds of backstage interviews, other extras, stand-up shows, a membership card, badges, 
a special email will tell you what guests are going to come up before everyone else knows all sorts of lovely stuff so please become a badger if you enjoy these it's less than a pound a show three pounds a month um if you can afford to if you can't the podcast will continue to be free forevermore because i am like jesus i'm not saying i'm like jesus i'm saying i am jesus see you around you motherfuckers <laughs>